0: Welcome to another episode of the Work Hard, Play Hard podcast. My name is Rob Murgatroyd. And each week on this podcast, I talk to some of the most fascinating people on the planet in all areas of life, from mindset to fitness to spirituality, and of course, business. Look... I believe you deserve success in all the areas of your life, not only business. But before we get into today's show, you may want to join us on our next Work Hard, Play Hard experience. This year, we're going to be going to Mykonos and Marrakesh. In these experiences, I have hand-selected a group of high-performing business people who are seeking more balance, connection, and they want to celebrate their wins as a reward for the hard work that they put in. If you want someone to curate once-in-a-lifetime experiences and force you to play more, rush over to workhardplayhardexperience.com. Fill out an application so we can jump on a discovery call to see if this is a good fit for you. And remember... Excuses are over, it's time to live.
1: There are receptors on our skin that code for affectionate touch, a kind of like petting embrace. And there are automatic biological reactions that occur when we're we're hugged, when we're embraced. There's a release of different kinds of stress-fighting chemicals that occur. Negative past experiences, we feel the need to work through them. But it is not the rule that the only way to feel better is to shift through the past. That is not the case and there are several counterexamples that demonstrate that. It's it's wild. Our genes are not totally distinct from our experiences in the world. They actually mix in powerful ways.
0: Ethan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Rob, and looking forward to our conversation. Let me tell you, no more than me and here's why You were born in Brooklyn in 1969. I was born in Brooklyn in 1966. And I'm sure that we're going to have a lot to talk about. I was born in Williamsburg, which was kind of a shithole back then at the time. And now it's the place. My daughter, I have a 20, uh, I also have a a 24 year old daughter and she messaged me the other day and she said, dad, I want to move to Williamsburg. I'm like, yeah, was well, in LA. well, I, I have I mean, to correct
1: you on the date. I was born born a, a little bit later, but the experiences of Brooklyn are exactly the same. I like to tell people that I used I lived in Brooklyn before it was cool to live there, <laughs> and that doesn't mean that I was a trendsetter in any way. Like Brooklyn was a rough and tumble place when I grew up, so I, I was born in 1980. So I lived there through the you know the 80s and 90s in Brooklyn, where early 90s, I mean. Were very similar to, I think, what you you dealt with in
0: the 70s there and lots of fighting and, you know, uh, it was it was absolutely a crazy time. But you don't have a trace of Brooklyn in you. Where, where did it go? Uh, it got washed away the first two weeks of
1: of college at 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 the University <laughs> at, at, of Pennsylvania. So there's an interesting story there. So my dad, who also grew up in Brooklyn and he grew up, um, you know, fist fighting and all of that good stuff. Uh, the this the, my senior year before I left for college, he, he said to me, there's one final, very dramatic, the one final thing I'm going to have to have you do. It's my last gift before you leave the world and, yeah. or Brooklyn. And he's like, you know, he signed me up for boxing lessons, not like boxing lessons, but I joined like an old school boxing gym that like trained golden glove fighters. And the irony here is that I was going to this like Ivy league, super fancy school in Pennsylvania where you know, fist fighting just doesn't happen, but he seemed no. to feel like he had to give me this skill before I left. So, um, so anyway, um, I got to, I got to Penn and was missing a tooth, not because of a fight. I had dental implant surgery, but I didn't tell. Oh, okay. And then I was wearing a cutoff shirt. And after a week or so of getting strange looks and I'm not a tall guy, but they were like six foot four guys parting ways when they heard me speak after i got a little bit um, fed up with that and people asking me to say coffee a bunch of times it just it just magically went away and it only comes back when i curse
0: isn't it funny like i my my wife will say to me we'll go we'll go back to new york and i'll go to i don't know little italy or something and she'll be like oh my god like what the hell happened to you? You sound like you're in a Bronx tale. Yeah. It just, there's something about it that, that triggers it. I want to talk about your dad a little bit. He, um we had, I thought, similar dads, but then it, your dad or my dad took a left turn from each other. And I'll explain what I mean in a minute. My dad uh, was a, a chain smoker like yours was. But where we, uh, one of us took a left turn is that your, your dad taught you how to go internal and how to meditate, which is extremely sort of like uh, unusual, I think, or yeah. unconventional for that time in, uh, in, in, you know, certainly a Brooklyn chain-smoking dad is not, you know, synonymous with let's go meditate. Right. So can you give me a little bit of color on your unconventional dad in that way? Yeah, I, unconventional is exactly the word I use to to describe
1: him. You know, on the one hand, he fit the the stereotype of a nineteen fifties born Brooklynite. You know, yep. big bushy mustache, heavy accent, watched the Yankees, chain smoked. I like to joke the way he used to drive on the Bell Parkway, which is a parkway for listeners in in Brooklyn. He'd have one hand at like. 10 o'clock on the steering wheel and the other hand would be on the horn. And like, that's how he would navigate, (laughs) you know? And and the only time he would take his hand off the horn would be to raise his finger. And so, (laughs) I mean, and Rob, I mean, you can attest here, this was not unusual where we grew up when we grew up, this was the culture, culture, right? This was how it worked. And so he had that side to him, but then he'd be, I have this great like visual image of him sitting in the lotus position in his bedroom, meditating often with a cigarette dangling from his, uh, from his lips and no college, um, or didn't graduate college. Did I did a year
0: or two at Queens college, but he, that's where he, I graduated.
1: Oh, really? Okay.
0: There me, you go. Uh, me, me, your dad, and Jerry Seinfeld. That's where we all, hey, we all went there. An illustrious trio. Um, <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, he uh, he just he he ate up that that the Eastern philosophy, the New Age culture, and um, and he talked to me a bunch about it, and a lot of it penetrated. Um, Some of it didn't, but but a lot of it did. And in some ways, what I find myself doing now is science on a lot of the ideas we started talking about very early on in life.
0: So, at the risk of stepping into a woo woo, the woo woo world here, what you know, it's interesting because the environment for your dad was, you know, driving, smoking the finger, you know, that the mustache, the whole thing, but like internally there was like this other guy, there was like this inner being and there was this like other thing. So did he, do you think he just sort of, came out that way. And that's just, that was his path in life. Or do you think that he was, somebody just exposed something to him and said, Hey, read this and a click for him. Like, how does that, that, that diametrically opposed thing happen yeah. in your estimation?
1: Well, you know, he was a super, super intelligent, super bright guy. And I think he had a tumultuous childhood and, and you know, here we're speculating, but Um, My sense is that he was probably searching for tools to manage his emotional life. And some of those ancient practices, Eastern philosophical practices, they talk about tools. And so my guess is that that was part of it. He also had friends who were, you know, got involved in the kind of hippie movement, which was, you know, hard to we I didn't live through that but it was sweeping. It swept the culture and, and it was a quite powerful force. And so I think that probably also had something to do with it. So that's that's my best guess. Uh, but it's okay. interesting you use the, the woo-woo uh, phrase because he w- he was woo-woo and, and still is. And And I mean, we had all sorts of experiences growing up. I remember him One, you know, like friends would go to to Yankee games or Shea Stadium, see the Mets. And, you know, one week it was, okay, we're going to go listen to an animal psychic on Long Island. And then another weekend we would we'd go, um, hey, let's check out sensory deprivation chamber in Howard Beach. And it was just like these, you know, or or go to a, a Native American spiritual festival at Floyd Bennett Field. And these, in retrospect were really great experiences to have because it it really opened me up to experiencing different kinds of, of cultures, being exposed to different kinds of ideas, and also recognizing the importance of having some science to really be able to discriminate between the the real stuff versus the you know, the shtick or the, the the kind of sales pitches. And there's a lot of that out there, right? Like there's a ton of, hey, I'm going to read your, you know, just stuff that isn't grounded in reality, but good salesmanship, I think.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to talk about Penn before we get into that world, because I have a lot of questions there. But you, um, you went to Penn and you had a significant moment at Penn where you sort of like realized that, you know, introspection is is good but it but it can also backfire on you tell me more about that yeah so one of the earliest
1: lessons my dad taught me was the value of introspection this, the capacity to really tap into your inner voice right try to if you're experiencing a problem go inside find a solution move on and so this was a capacity that served me really well throughout my childhood and adolescence I was never I was someone who was always really good at regulating their emotions. I didn't really get stuck. Yeah, it doesn't mean I never experienced negativity. Ask a girl out, she says no. You know, repeat that process 15 times in a row. Like doesn't feel good, but I never got stuck. But then when I got to Penn and I started taking a course in psychology and actually learning about the science behind introspection, what I what I discovered was a lot of people benefit a lot of the time from introspection. You can make the argument that our ability to turn our attention inward, to use language, to reflect on our circumstances, like this is a quality that has allowed our species to really excel into the apex species that we are. Like we wouldn't be able to build spaceships and land rovers on Mars if we didn't have the capacity to introspect. But this very same tool got a lot of people in trouble. Sometimes it got the same people in trouble who benefited from it in some circumstances. It got them in trouble in other circumstances, leading them to worry and ruminate endlessly about things in ways that could be quite destructive for their health, their well-being, and their relationships. And so this to me, a light, a light bulb went off. This was a, a giant puzzle. Why is it that we have this tool, our mind, and more specifically, our ability to introspect And use language as a tool to reflect on our our problems and experiences. Why does it work good for us in some situations, but bad in others? And and most importantly, when it's not working well, when we find ourselves in the depths of rumination and worry and despair, what can we do to, to bring that introspective process back on track? what can we do to regain control of our mind, so to speak? And I had that, like that was a light bulb that went off. And then what happened was we, I would be, so that happened my freshman year. And then I'd be like walking to parties with my friends at 11 o'clock at night on a Saturday. And I'd be talking to them about this stuff. And be, you know, the, you just call me by my last name. Cross, why are you talking about this right now? You know, like we're going to a party. And I'd be talking about this stuff in my spare time when I'd be studying in the, in the bookstore for, you know, a math class or econ. I'd find myself on breaks going to the psychology section and thumbing through books. And, and at some point I had this epiphany that, hey, if I'm spending my spare time thinking about this stuff and reading about it, why don't I make this my career? What what my real, you know, why don't I do this as a job? And so that I went to grad school to figure out
0: how to turn this interest and passion into an actual vocation. Okay, so let's get back to introspection for just a second. Have you evolved your definition or your idea or your sort of beliefs around it from that moment at Penn through your ed- education and postdoctorate work and all that stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've, we've, we, we, and I, I say, we, my lab, we've become much more fine grained in a certain sense. The way I think about what I do is it's kind of like mind mechanics. So, you know, what does a mechanic do? A car mechanic opens up the hood and understands how that car works with pinpoint precision down to, to nuts and bolts and, Gaskets? Are there gaskets in the car? I'm showing you now.
0: I, who the hell knows? Bruno's. I have no idea. Okay.
1: So there's stuff underneath. I have, know-
0: I, have a, I have a Vespa. I have no idea. Okay.
1: You have no idea. Got
0: it. Um, <laughs> well, you know how
1: all the pieces my kids would love to hear the Vespa. They, they just saw that movie, that Pixar movie, Luca. But the Vespa. Luca.
0: Luca. Which, um, Silencio,
1: Bruno. There you go. Well, maybe we'll talk about that later uh, because that's all about distant self-talk, which is a tool that is very powerful. So um, we're mind mechanics. We try to understand how, how the mind works with pinpoint precision and introspection is a piece of that puzzle. So, you know, one, one for example, evolution in, in my understanding of this that happened early on was the recognition that, look, it's not that some people are good at introspection and some people are bad, right? Every person has their own profile of good and bad introspection, which is to say, I may be incredibly good at introspecting and, and coming up with clear solutions for some problems in my life, but in other situations, I've got a weakness, right? So, so maybe it's about my kid's health. When, when something's going wrong with them, it's really hard for me to introspect effectively. I need to, to like, you know, leverage, use some tools there. But if it's about a problem at work, yeah, no problem. I can I can keep that clear. Other people may have the exact opposite profile. So, so I've really moved away from thinking about, hey, you're good at introspection and you're bad. I don't think that honors the complexity of of all of us. I think we all have our triggers, our chatter triggers, if you will, and they're different. And I think knowing about those subtle differences that that characterize us is really important for beginning to think about. How to help people deal with their problems
0: of introspection effectively? All right, so let's uh, let's 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 dig into that a little bit. Let's let's get under the hood here. Now, there are there's languaging that I hear people using more and more often, and it's things like, you know, I never had a good money mindset. Is a good example of that, right? So there's there's something in, in, in that that they have an awareness that the way that they look at money, it probably isn't the healthiest way to go, and isn't serving them. And maybe they're not quite so sure what to do with it. Other people may say something like, "You know, I just sometimes just have a really hard time believing in myself. I don't know what it is. I wish I had the ability to believe the way you do." So This comes down to the $64,000 question, right? Is it nature or nurture? And maybe we shouldn't give a shit. It's, it just, it it doesn't matter. It's there. Mm -hmm. What do we do about it? When we have self-identified that there is chatter that's going on, that it isn't good. How do we silencio Bruno?
1: Well, you know, nature-nurture is always a really hard one to to weigh in on. We know that there's a little bit of of most psychological tendencies driven by nature and some by nurture. It gets even more complex nowadays because what we've learned relatively recently is that nature and nurture actually combine in really powerful and interesting ways. So when you and I were growing up, uh, we learned that they were in separate boxes, two distinct influences, uh, what we've learned more recently is that our experiences in the world can actually change the way our DNA is expressed. So having certain kinds of experiences can make certain, turn on certain genes and turn off others. So actually, the two combine. You could think about this as like, imagine having a piano in the different cells of your body. Every cell has a piano. And we all have more or less the same keys on that piano, right, the same DNA. But what makes us unique are the songs that are played on that piano. And our experiences in the world can influence how the piano is played. So there's some some striking data, for example, which shows that experiencing chronic chatter, so getting chronic rumination worry over long periods of time, that actually functions to turn on certain genes that promote inflammation. And it turns off certain genes that we use to fight viruses, antiviral genes. It's, it's wild. And, and what it means is that our genes are not totally distinct from our experiences in the world. They actually mix in powerful ways. So, so that, that just complicates or gives some nuance to this whole nature-nurture argument in ways that I think is... Is mind blowing.
0: Um, Does that? Uh, do you mean to say? Sorry to interrupt, you, but do yeah. you mean to say that that in real time we can manipulate how the gene expresses itself based upon our state? Well, for real time, we'd we'd have to dig in a little bit to what that means. In fact, I
1: remember when I was, um, this was several, maybe a decade ago, when I was first exposed to this work, uh, a great scientist out of LA, Steve Cole, who does some of this work, he gave a presentation. I went up to him after, I'm like, so how sensitive are these, these gene effects to our experiences? Does thinking a specific thought turn these keys on and off. And his response, and I don't think anything has changed since he gave me this response is we are talking about chronic effects. So, you know, if you're experiencing chronic stress, that's when these gene expression changes are really beginning to take hold and take shape. It's not as sensitive as Hey, you do 10 dumbbell curls and you feel your muscle changing, right? If you lift enough heavy weight, the, that those aren't the, the sense that it is about a chronic kind of experience that is in infiltrating our DNA.
0: Okay. Well, my mother,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she's a chronic extreme, probably like mine, maybe they know each other. Now we're going to, have- I don't
0: I don't think I need to say anything else. I'm just going to put those two words together. You know where I'm going with this, right? Brooklyn I mother. mean, like, oh. like everything is like the world is coming to an end. Like it's like, oh, like, it, like I can't pick up the phone and say, mom, what, what's wrong? What, 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 what happened? What not, Nothing. That's fun, it's, it's so funny. And this is a cultural <laughs> phenomenon. Exact,
1: every phone call for the past 20 years is what's wrong? Everything okay? Why do you always have to assume something is wrong when I call? Can I not just call to say hello? And then we no. get into an argument. It is remarkable. No, you can't. It
0: is remarkable. Right. So so that level of not good worry, not good, why? Well, what we know is,
1: so chatter, so, you know, just to give like, you know, listeners, uh, uh, um, a window into my vocabulary. So what I call chatter is getting stuck in a negative thought loop. I like the term chatter because scientists have used so many different terms to refer to these negative thought loops. It becomes hard to uh, keep them straight. If it's, you know, rumination, that's perseverating over something that happened in the past. Worry is perseverating about something in the future, but in both cases, you're just stuck in this loop. You're like a, a hamster on an exercise wheel. You're running, you're not getting anywhere. So that's what chatter is. Um, now what we know about chatter is that this can impact us in three core domains of life that I would argue really make life worth living for us. It makes it really hard for us to think and perform well um, at work or at sports. It creates strain in our social relationships and it undermines our physical health. It exerts a wear and tear on our bodies that predicts things like cardiovascular disease, problems of inflammation, even certain forms of cancer. So you know, you're talking about performance, right? You're talking about relationships and health. And chatter impacts all, of, all three of those. And so if someone is chronically experiencing chatter, that's not a good thing. And you do want to take steps to, to intervene.
0: But but how do you can? Well, uh, okay. Where does the chatter come from in the first place? Well, um,
1: that's a you know back to your sixty four thousand. I I would say that might be cheap nowadays in terms of you know sixty four trillion dollar <laughs> question. Actually, you know what? Here's an interesting statistic to put this in in monetary terms for people, which I think is often useful. World Health Organization and and the Lancet Global Health, a top medical journal, public health journal, um, recently put a number on the impact that anxiety and depression, which we know chatter fuels, the impact that that um, has on the U.S. global economy in one year. You want to guess what that number is? Couldn't even begin. One trillion dollars. The yearly impact. That is just the U.S., that number goes way up when you take into account the global economy and it's predicted to rise exponentially over the next several years. So this is a, a, a you say $64,000 question. Where does chatter come from? It's a trillion, trillion dollar question. Trillion dollar question. I did a presentation as I, I sadly, this may give you insight into my financial portfolio. I, I, or the kind of business I do, I had to look up how many zeros were in a trillion. I didn't even know. So, you know, it's, it's. Pretty crazy. Um, I couldn't do it. Right? It's it's not a number we're used to used to thinking about. So where does it come from? There are you know there is data suggesting there's some genetic influence. Certainly environmental stressors can play a role as well. There's a whole lot of mystery though around. How how those different pieces come together and combine, and you know, in my book, I actually don't spend a lot of time talking about where it comes from because um, it's really hard to know. Like we know that parents play a role; parents help shape the conversations we have with ourselves. So you know, parenting, socialization, culture, hugely important. But I think where there is an opportunity to really intervene and help people is in communicating what tools exist to help people manage this chatter, right? Teaching people about those tools directly, having encouraging people to share those tools with others, with their friends, with their loved ones. I think that's where there's the, the largest room to have impact to really move the needle on this trillion dollar
0: problem. So two things. First is, before I moved to Italy, I got. Uh, I get up early, like when I when I was living in L.A. Um, and I'm I'm only here for a month, but um, when I was in L.A., I I get up and I I do um, I journal for three pages. Just you know, I heard this. I learned this thing called the morning pages, where you just write for three three pages. And then I'd go into doing uh, transcendental meditation, you know, just saying a mantra for, for 20 minutes. That's
1: what, that's what and my dad, my dad, by the way, that was he his did TM. system. And he took me when I was five to New York to, to do it. And, and there were mattresses all over the training room floor. And I was like, what are the mattresses for? And, and he's like, yogic flying, which you, you may have heard of, but is part of that whole no. Google, I, I really, it, Google, I need Google it. To... Everyone is listening. Google yogic flying. This is a thing attached to TM. Were they levitated? <laughs> yeah, but I did not witness it or, but, but you know, when I was allegedly, five, my, eyes, allegedly. my eyes lit up, like, you know.
0: Wow. I, I got to hang out with you, dad. So what is interesting to me is uh, since I have moved to Italy, And who knows what the placebo effect is? Who knows? Maybe the new, I don't know what it is there. I am surrounded in this country. I can go on for hours and I won't, but I am surrounded with such absolute love and joy and Everybody has coffee in the morning with dessert, and they're—they look like they are off. Uh, you know, they have like a croissant in the morning. They look like they. Everybody is dressed like they're on a runway. Dinners are pasta and wine, and don't end until eleven o'clock at night. They don't really give much of a shit about making money. They are the most hedonistic culture I've ever been in. I am deeply affected by that and love it. And I have less chatter in my head than I had when I was in the States. So I was wondering what your thoughts yeah. are on that. Is it just that it's a new environment or is it that the way they live here is different and that affects it? Well, we, you know, we, we, we have to do the experiment to confirm, but here's my
1: intuition. My intuition is that you are, you, you've experienced a dramatic change in, your, in the culture that you are living in a lot of people talk about culture as like the air we breathe. It can be powerful, right? You, you know, you think about the, you know, you take in polluted air that affects your whole body, right? Of course, like it, everything. The air is changed entirely. And we know that um, certain kinds of cultures, well, cultures in general can tune the way We view and experience the world. And there's a lot of data on that, right? Some cultures lead us to be more sensitive to certain kinds of concerns versus others. And as you just described, you're talking about a a culture that is all about you know what a joie de vivre. Uh, I don't know
0: the uh, la dolce
1: vita, right? La dolce vita. Is it's, a, the, more it's, this, it's the same. same thing.
0: They're they're a little bit more arrogant, but it's the same.
1: Yeah, same thing. But well yeah. dressed and well 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 fed in well both fed. Both, both, both
0: places, um,
1: and uh, I mean it sounds sounds remarkable. Now every culture, of course, ha- there's a trade off. Um, when you when you do these things, and you intimated at it with your description, right? Like there, there's not a, a focus on uh, as much as professional advancement, maybe, and you know, in Italy or where you are, as opposed to maybe the stock market in New York, um, the stock exchange that is. But yeah, that 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 that's a cultural level effect. So actually, I've experienced something in the opposite direction, um, moving from New York, where I did my grad work. I was in New York City. And as you know, as you know, Rob, like New York's an interesting place. It has a stereotype of folks being really gruff, kind of like my dad. Like, I, I mean, can I can I curse on this show? Is that allowed? You can me? curse Curse away. Curse away. OK, I won't offend anyone. I mean, my mom, as a term of endearment, refers to me often as a little shit or asshole <laughs> as a term of endearment. She is the it. same way that I call my kids sweetie uh she calls me asshole that I doesn't know. fly in michigan okay and have you ever a, have
0: you ever brought a girl have you ever brought a girl home from another state and had wife, her do it my wife it's horrified i'm like no, no 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 she no 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 she th- she likes you that's who right. says that who says like, that It's. it's it <laughs> I'm, is, I'm like every mother in new york says that that's who Yes, it, it's, it's remarkable.
1: The level of, of, of filth that comes out of the mouth. <laughs> I mean, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Of course, uh, and, of course. And, 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 and that's just normal. Um, so, uh, you know, I've experienced a different kind of cultural shift. I think New York, you have that kind of abrasiveness, but there's also an intense level of warmth. You know, there's hugging. There's 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 a, a people look out for you. In a way. Am, am am I am I getting it
0: right? Do you agree? You're 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 hundred percent right. And it's the it's so confusing because those that are uninitiated yeah. think that it's just rude, but they got your back in a way that you don't even like you know, it's and I tell you what's interesting is I I lived in Atlanta. I grew up in New York and then I moved to Atlanta for 25 years That's and then I moved to LA. From, so. Oh, she's from Atlanta, okay. I lived in Buckhead. Okay, um Sandy for Springs. uh Oh, right next door. Okay. For 25 years. And then I moved to LA and then I moved to Italy. I did not realize, cause I had been out of New York so long. I did not realize how, like when I met somebody in New York, there was a hug, there was a kiss, there was, it was tactile. When I moved to Atlanta, that was not a thing. Like it was like, it was, it was not like, you know, Nebraska, but it was not like New York at all. So I learned to be less Touchy, you yeah, know, yeah. you know what I mean. Uh, um, and and then when I came to Italy, I had been out for 25 years, and I immediately fell right back into hugging and kissing and touching, and 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 I realized how much it meant to me and how much I missed it. And I think things like that really affect you inside in your level of happiness, joy, decrease in chatter and stuff. So yeah. I, I'd love your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, no, totally. I had a um, a colleague from Israel visit, do a sabbatical here in Michigan for a year. And I, he went up and he hugged, he hugged a, a, a colleague of mine and the colleague was totally taken aback. Whereas where he came from in Israel, which in many ways is similar to Italy in terms of the Very level similar. of communality- yep. That's just part of it, this rich, rich warmth and embrace. And so cultures vary on those dimensions. And it's not always cut and dry good versus bad. There are trade-offs, but they can certainly affect us. I mean, the touch factor is an interesting one. I actually talk a little bit about this in in Chatter. We know that affectionate touch, when it is welcome, that's an important caveat. Not, Not creepy. Not creepy. It's a powerful tool. It affects us. Through a variety of different pathways. There are receptors on our skin that code for affectionate touch, a kind of like petting embrace. And there are automatic biological reactions that occur when we're we're hugged, when we're embraced. There's a release of different kinds of stress fighting chemicals that occur. Um, There's also, at the conscious level, when someone hugs us or, you know, whatever, holds our hand, it also reminds us that, hey, there's someone else out there that really cares for me. I'm wanted, and 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 those are very powerful um, experiences. If you think about touch, we don't talk about touch very much as a regulatory strategy. Touch is the first way that we are regulated when we come into this world. What happens when a child is born? The first thing that they do. After they snip the cord, uh, I didn't watch that part, but they then take the child and they put the child on the mother's chest for skin to skin contact. When our babies cry, we hug and embrace them. Right. And, but at, at some point we stop doing that as much.
0: Uh, well, we've got it's gotten weird. You know, look. Whatever, not to get into politics, whatever Cuomo did in New York, I, I don't know what the hell happened. I wasn't there. I have no idea. But it was interesting. I heard a, co- a comedian the other day on uh, he was talking about it. And he said he took the nobly down defense, uh, defense, which is I'm from Naples. So, like, this is what I do. Yeah. It, there was a part of me. I get it. I'm not saying that he didn't do anything inappropriate. There's a part of me that understands that New York tactile touchiness thing that's, that's out there. You know, you mentioned that there are a lot of really good salespeople that are in the world that are maybe snake oil salesmen that are my words, not yours that are like pumping you up and Mm -hmm. selling tickets to seminars and tapes and books and all that stuff. Um, Some of the stuff that you're talking about is making me think of two people. And I'd love, if you're willing to, and if you have an opinion on these two, or if you know them, I'd love to know your thoughts on the work that they do. The first one is Joe Dispenza. Do you know anything about him? Have you ever heard that name? Not really. Okay. Because he's talking about very similar. It would be worth it for you to check out because he's talking about how his work with meditation um, is changing gene expression and everything he does, he's got tests that he's doing. He's He's been tracking people over 20 years and mm-hmm. I, I'm getting it all wrong, but he does some scientific work. I, mm-hmm. I was wondering if you knew that. And then the other one is Tony Robbins with NLP work, Neurolinguistic Programming. Any thoughts on, on that work?
1: You know, NLP, there are some very interesting techniques that are used in NLP. Um, and I think the 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 question is, you know, not all of them have been put to the scientific test. Now, that doesn't mean that those tools are ineffective, but it also means that we don't know that they are effective. Um, But I think there's certainly there, you know, likely some things that are talked about there that 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 really genuinely help people. You know, if we back up a little bit, we shouldn't underestimate the power of what we call good salesmanship or placebo effects. I spend a chapter talking about how powerful placebos can be for helping people regulate their chatter. Um, I mean, it's really, I think what placebos are, placebos often get a bad rap, right? We often think about placebos as it's the comparison condition against which we gauge the effectiveness of a drug. So if a drug doesn't outperform a placebo, then the drug doesn't make it into the marketplace. But, What we know is that placebos themselves can be quite powerful, especially for helping people with the kinds of chatter-related issues that we face, anxiety, depression, like giving a person a sugar pill, telling them that, hey, this is going to help you feel better. If they believe you, that helps with mild to moderate forms of of depression. Uh, It helps relieve Parkinson's disease. It helps relieve headache symptoms, gastrointestinal distress, like And there are no side effects associated with those placebos. So I think what we want to do is we want to respect the power of placebo, but then do better than than just the placebo. So I think we want to have real tools that have some active ingredients that help people with their chatter. And then we want to supercharge those real tools by giving people that placebo effect as well. Hey, these things are really going to help you if you do them. And there's no deception involved there, right? Because you're giving someone something that will help them. But I think that's the the route to really helping folks. Um, So um, yeah. So, I mean, individuals, I I don't know, there's a range of things that these people probably talk about. I can tell you, there are a couple of beliefs out there that are, are promoted that I don't, that don't have much scientific basis um, that I think are important for, for folks to be aware of. One big one that I spent a lot of time talking about is the the benefits of venting. There is a whole lot of work, a, whole, a lot of people who say, Hey, when you're upset, just vent, just express emotions, you know, freeze a milk card and get a hammer and bash it away. Go to one of those, like,
0: I don't know if you've heard of these new um, rooms where you just break stuff, just breaking shit, there's cars in there and you just like hammering the hell out of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Dude, look at those people, watch them do that. Do they look calm when they're engaged? In they, don't,
0: they look crazy. They look
1: crazy. So we know that like venting about your emotions, um, it can be really good for, for friendships and connections. Like, you know, call me up, Rob, the next time your mom calls you a little shit and, 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 and let me know how you're doing about like what you're feeling, why you're upset our, our friendship is going to get more intense. It's going to strengthen because you know that you could turn to me and I'm there for you. I'm going to validate what you're feeling. I'm going to normalize. Hey, my mom does the same thing. That sucks. But if all I do is let you vent, what ends up happening is you and I feel really close and connected, but you leave that conversation just as upset. Because all you've done is harped on the negatives. So venting alone actually isn't useful for chatter. And there's data which shows that it can promote feelings of anxiety and depression over time. So, so what you what you want to do in a productive relationship when it comes to your chatter is find someone who does take some time to hear you out, to listen, but at the appropriate time, helps you look at that bigger picture, helps you go broader to kind of put this in perspective. Look, it's not your mom. All moms in New York are like that. They don't mean it, you know, and so forth and so on.
0: Well, let's let's talk about like, you know, what what I'm going to coin here, like the Woody Allen um, uh, analogy, for lack of a better word. Like, you know, he's been, he's been, uh, you know, public about the fact that he's been on some therapist couch, you know, twice a week for a hundred years, right? Yeah. Is there any value in looping the same problem that you had, you know, when you were 20 years old, like at some point, is no. there a statute? I,
1: I mean, this at, is at some
0: f- point, is there, is there like a statute of limitations on childhood trauma? Like when does it end?
1: Well, it's so there's variability in the sense that we're all distinct. However, there is a popular belief. And it was a belief that was promoted initially by Freud and carried on over the years by the way, Freud had many amazing things to say, so this is not a knock about against him on the whole. But the idea that the the way to emotional salvation is by delving into your past weekly on a couch, not looking at a, a, the person who you're talking to over years and years and years, we know that there are more effective ways to help people. Sometimes. You may have to dip into your past to deal with something. If you find that there's an experience that is continuing to promote distress in the present and you feel the need to go back to it, to make sense of that experience, then, uh, you know, I think a uh, a competent therapist will, will help you do that. But we don't always have to do that, right? Like your COVID anxiety isn't necessarily rooted in some early childhood experience that needs to be explored. Sometimes it's rooted in the fact that, hey, you may just be overestimating your risk or or thinking about something slightly irrationally that we could correct through small shifts in the way you think about things. So I don't want to suggest that there is, we should never think about the past. That doesn't make sense. Like there are times when it does make sense to deal with negative past experiences, we feel the need to work through them. But it is not the rule that the only way to feel better is to shift through the past. That is not the case. And there are several counterexamples that
0: demonstrate that. All right. So as we sort of reach the uh, the top of the hour here, I'm going to ask you some questions about your 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 own life Uh, some of them are going to be weird. So just, uh, just roll with it. If you're, if you're down, we'll start off with some easy ones. In in what ways did, uh, Victor Frankl's book, uh, man's search for meaning affect your life. Powerfully affected my
1: life. Uh, read it my sophomore year in college and what it exposed me to was the following. Viktor Frankl was uh, a guy who had everything taken away from him. He lost his family. He was in a, a concentration camp during the Holocaust, and yet he managed to reframe his experiences in ways that ultimately allowed him to not just endure that tragedy, but 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 like thrive ultimately over time. And so it spoke to me to our amazing capacity to change the way we think about our circumstances to, to live better lives. And that stuck with me. And I read that book every year. I sign it every time I teach my, my seminars on, on these topics. Um, So
0: it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. It's the number one book. When I ask people what number it's the book that always comes up. What do people often get wrong about your work? Well, I spent a lot of time
1: talking about distancing and, and this idea that when you're overcome with chatter, it can be really useful to get some mental space to think about the experience more objectively. And some people reflexively think about distance as avoidance, the idea that, hey, you're just trying to avoid focusing on the experience and not feeling emotion, and that couldn't be further from the truth. When I say distance, what I'm talking about is giving people a tiny bit of mental space so that they're not zoomed in on the problem so narrowly that they can't think about it differently at all. But when I pull people back in our studies, people are still feeling emotion. They're still fully engaged with the experience. They're just not as overwhelmed. So distance doesn't equal
0: avoidance. You just go in higher level. That's right. That's right. Okay. Um, what is a rule that you have for yourself that you're never going to break? Like this is, this is a rule. I, I just don't break this. Wow, there are lots of them. Um, Let's see, what do I wanna, what should I mention? Work with people that I like. Mm, That's a great one. I love that. What new behavior or habit has most improved your life? Walking to
1: work every day, rain or shine. And it's improved my life in a few ways. A, it keeps the waistline in check. And uh, B, it also... I, I'm, I'm fortunate to live in, in a, a very non-Brooklyn-esque neighborhood filled with lots of greenery. And um, as I talk about in, in my book, green spaces are, are you know nature's way of helping us deal with chatter. And so having that 15, 20 minutes each way each day to take in my surroundings, think broadly,
0: it's just, it's just an incredible time. What is an unusual or absurd thing that you love. People think it's weird, but I love it. I take a, a bath every
1: single night, and you're a bath guy. I'm a bath guy. It it's it's it like it unwinds me. It helps me think. I love it, and I hear it's more common in Europe among men.
0: But uh, I can tell you, I, I got a, a I got a buddy who's out. just. I I got a buddy who's, uh, he's a CEO of a big company and we joke about it all the time. Um, he's also, um, he also has a, uh, a soap habit. He's like addicted to, you got the same thing. So bath guys and soap guys, he likes a nice soap. We went to Israel together and like, I literally spent my entire trip finding like dead sea shit. Yeah. You should, you Um, should connect us. I'm going to have to exchange, connect you. You can exchange stories. <laughs> yeah. Uh if you could spend one month anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? You you know the answer Italy. to that question, Rob. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm going to I'm going to hook you up. Italy um, Italy
1: for 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 culture, food and and just
0: experience. All of it. Okay, we're going to do a, a speed round in the remaining five minutes. We have uh, it's sort of like a first thing that comes to mind round. What would your friends say is one of your superpowers? Uh, my my ability to re, to maintain a positive attitude disposition. Do you collect anything, or have you ever collected anything? Collected comic books when I was a kid. Other than Man's Search for Meaning, what book have you reread the most?
1: The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael Chabon, which if you haven't read it, Rob, in particular, you should read it. It's a story, it's an amazing story about these two cousins who grew up in Brooklyn and the um, exploits they have throughout their lives, love triangles and comic books. And it, was, uh, it won a major literary award years ago. Great book. I'll totally
0: read it. What's your guilty pleasure? Nightly baths. Nightly baths. Last question. Let's change it up a little bit. What one question would you like to ask me? How did you? How did you manage to, with a young child,
1: move your whole life to to paradise? That's a big, big move. That at your at your phase of life is not something that most people do. How did you,
0: understand that? It. Was slow and then fast. It was me one day sitting there saying, "I have an impulse to do something. That impulse is to go to Italy, but I don't have the slightest idea if I can go there legally. I don't know how I would like everything that you're asking." And so I went to your point, super high, like a hundred thousand foot level, and I started writing. And I wrote, "I see myself walking down cobblestone streets." And like, that was it for the morning. And then the next morning I did another 15, 20 minutes of writing. And what came out was um, I dropped the kid off at the bus stop and she gets on the bus um, headed to um, uh, a schoolhouse, something like that. And then by the end of about two or three months, it was, I wake up in the morning to the sounds of church bells ringing. I... Meditate and journal. And then um, I get uh, my wife and I uh, get Sophia ready and put her into the uh, International School of Uniform, the In- International School of Florence uniform, getting her ready to start her day. And then uh, my wife and I drop her off at the bus and we look at the bus as it's pointing towards the hills of Tuscany for her day of education. And then we go to a cafe in the morning and have coffee. And then I, and then I, I go on and on. And so I wrote a story about what it looked like. And the story started with amorphous blobs that then went down to 90,000 feet, 20,000 feet and got super granular. Once it got super granular, then I was like, okay, this is good. Then I got uh, pictures of what that story was exactly like the school. I had the picture of the school and the teachers in the school, like, but very specific. Mm. And then I hung that in my office. And my wife and I had a bottle of wine at night and we talked about it. And then it was okay, well, what's, what's the first thing we need to do? First thing we need to do is can we legally go there? And then we found the lawyer and then we talked to the lawyer. And then it started, it became a to do list of when we had to do it and we set a goal to do it in two years but because the vision was so clear two years was compressed down to probably four months Mm. and um then everything just started snowballing then the attorney said hey um, i've got some friends that uh, are in the international school um, and there's a, a whatsapp group called the bobby group and i'm like what's a bobby group He said, well in tuscany the word for dad is bobby so it's a whatsapp group for just the dads so then i went in and said hey you know i'm looking for a place in florence and then all of a sudden i got the haircutter the 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 like everybody gave me everything I needed, and the real estate agent that was like the the resource that I needed, and it nice. just unfolded, and then one day we went that's it we're we're moving, and then we just put it all together, and you know uh it it just happened but it but to answer the question it started to your point, super high, got super clear, and then once we were clear we knew what we wanted then then the the execution of it was like. It was a, a literal to-do list. Amazing, amazing. Follow follow my stories on Instagram because I video all day long um, on what it's like here. And it's gonna change, like, you know, there's only one first time. I'm only here for a month now. So everything is just new for me. It'll, uh, I'll be a little jaded, I'm sure in a year. But right now, if you're, you know, if you're interested in this sort oh, of thing. i love you, to. You I'm, can... I'm gonna do it right after we're, we're done. Yeah. Uh, and I, I would, if st- I
1: had to make a prediction,
0: I would predict that you're not jaded in a year. Okay, good, good. Um, I'll I'll leave you with this. Every single dad that I've met um, at the school, they have a a junior school and it goes all the way to high school, from Mm -hmm. kindergarten to high school. I have met people who've been here for a year and people who've been here for 15 years. And... My attorney, who's also children, uh, is in the school. Um, said to me, I said, Out "Of all the people that you've helped come from America, that's moved here, has any of them gone back?" He said, "I'm doing it 15 years, not one." Mm. I said, "No shit." Remarkable. Said, "Not one, not one person has ever returned." Did Isn't that I, interesting? I mean, look
1: at the view from your balcony. you know, it's just it's, it's crazy. It's, it's um, it's just remarkable. I mean, you're at the epicenter of of of. uh where culture was born. I mean, you know, the, the, the Renaissance, just amazing. So I'm going to, I'm going to tune in.
0: I'll tell you what, i tell you what I did. I'll leave you with this. I wanted to do this right. So I hired a, an Italian teacher to come twice a week to teach us Italian. And I hired a tour guide to come twice a week so that I don't just look at the buildings and go, yeah. I don't know what the hell happened here. So she's teaching us. Wonderful. So we're learning the language and we're learning that and, and, and needing pasta helps too. <laughs> Well if you
1: have any um, my, my my when I'm not bathing the other release I have is cooking so
0: if you got any great oh, recipes or tips send I'll them pass them along. Ethan this was one of uh, my more favorite podcasts I hope it was great for you as well. Uh, do you have any final words suggestions or an ask for the people that are listening?
1: You, well you know if you're interested in learning more about chatter um, check out my 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 website www.ethancrossdk.com lots of info about um, me, the book and tools that are freely downloadable. Yeah. I guess my ask for people who are listening is to, if you're experiencing chatter, make a commitment to try to try some of these tools out in your own life and, um, and pass them on to others because there's an opportunity to help. And this was
0: super fun, uh, conversation on my end too. So I'm really glad we had a chance to do it. Awesome, buddy. I'll link everything up in the show notes and, uh, people will know exactly how to get there. Fantastic. Enjoy Italy. Excuses are over, it's time to live.